Hi, and welcome to Good Change Conversations with myself, Christy Hunter, and Stina Smith. We're here to inspire everyday people to do good things. Good changes come in all shapes and sizes in the form of products, mindsets, routines, and more. Each episode, we're going to introduce you to small changes that will help you and the environment. We hope you take away at least one of these and change for the better. In the wise words of Elvis Presley, clean up your own backyard first and then the world's. Focus on the small changes. Don't try to do everything perfectly. Just little bits, one step at a time. Kate Hall, otherwise known as Ethically Kate, self-described as an educator, activist and blogger who advocates for living and decision-making that respects and protects people and the planet. If you read Kate's amazing website, www.ethicallykate.com, she mentions she's a wife, a keeper of a gorgeous cockatiel who happens to be sitting on her shoulder right now, and professional labradoodle belly rubber. Love it. Kate endeavours to show others how simple and fulfilling it is to live consciously and hand on heart, she is one of the most authentic, real living, sustainable inspirations I've come across. I've been wanting to catch up with this amazing lady for some time now, so it's a total and utter privilege to finally meet Kate and hear from her how simple and fulfilling sustainable living really is. And if you hear a little bird chirping in the background, that is her gorgeous cockatiel, which is called... Zugda. <laughs> Zugda. Zugda. Awesome. <laughs> Gorgeous. So Kate, firstly, just tell us a little bit about your story. Where did you grow up? What was your home life made up of? Has the ethos you live and breathe these days been bred into you from childbirth or was there a like a light bulb moment or a turning point in your life where you decided to follow down this path? Yeah, awesome. Stoked to be here and chat with you. And so the bird is, uh, it's like corralling a animals just constantly is what I do on the side yeah so I grew up in a fairly conscious family I didn't know that composting was not something that everyone did like just having a rubbish bin just having a compost bin and yeah I loved big bags of hand-me-downs up shopping that was something we did but it wasn't until 2015 in August I watched the documentary The True Cost have you seen The True Cost I haven't actually I'm gonna have to write that down Yeah. yeah I mean, I guess it's uh, seven years old now, but it's still very relevant. And as someone who loves fashion, I was like, oh my goodness, this is, you know, why, why the heck aren't we all talking about this? So yeah, from that moment, that was literally like you asked my light bulb moment, I guess. But I don't think that light bulb moment would have happened if like, I studied business psychology at NASA University. And I've always been passionate about people wherever they are, wherever they're working, um, working sustainably and thriving. Um, sustainably obviously means something that can happen over and over again. It doesn't just mean environmental sustainability, mental, emotional, and just, yeah, happy in your job. And so I think that for me, hearing about the fashion industry and that I was contributing to you know, an industry that exploits so many um, who can't actually have pride in their work or be respected as, as a human should be, yeah, that was a turning point. And I was like, I'm not going to be, <laughs> I'm going to try not to be responsible for that. When you saw that movie, so the yep. first change that you made as a result of seeing that movie, what was the first thing that you did? The first thing, like literally overnight, I was like, okay, anything that I want to buy now, like any clothing item. So it was fashion related. The true cost is, it explains the fashion industry's impact on the planet. Anything I need, 
yeah, I'll think and try my best to find who made it and what materials it was made from. And so I remember I needed a pair of jeans and I went into Cotton On and I was like asking them, like these shop tellers about where are these made, all that type of thing. And that I think was my first, yeah, kind of run in with how difficult ethical fashion was going to be. Yeah, it's a bit of a fight between, well, with everything, it's a fight between making money and trying to get efficiencies going in these big Chinese factories. Yeah. It's also about compromise too. Like back then when I was looking at jeans, I actually ended up buying jeans that I probably wouldn't buy now because, you know, of my new, I'm always learning and always kind of evolving where my values are and what I'm happy to purchase and support because I think where you spend your money is obviously what you support. So always still learning. That was the light bulb moment that I have many more light bulb moments and, and Brilliant. decisions that continue to strike me at all times. <laughs> yeah, awesome. It's very inspiring. And um, I think the common concern for most people is that living with less waste and trying to shop ethically is all just, they just pop it in the too hard basket. Life gets busy, it gets chaotic. The biggest question for most people is where do I start? So you've mentioned after you saw that movie that that was the first thing that you did from a clothing, sustainable clothing and fashion perspective. But what would be one little tip that you could give people just to start off on their sustainable uh, journey? One of the main things I think is to do, like get really aware of what you are currently doing. Because, you know, I could recommend a sustainable, sustainably made dress to someone, or I could tell someone to op shop. Op shopping is really size exclusive. So that may not work for that particular person, or someone may not wear dresses, or, you know, so we're all so, so different. So I think the first thing for anyone that is just kind of goes across the board is to take stock of what you currently do. At Good Change Store, we have designed beautiful and sustainable cloths for your home. They began as a vehicle to help lead social change. We are here to inspire and help people make small changes for a better world. Start with your kitchen and clean with prettier cloths that care about your bench as well as the environment. So what I say for anyone across the board, wherever you are, whatever you do, whoever you are, to take stock of what your current waste streams are. So do a little waste audit, you know, keep your waste to aside for a week or maybe even two days. Choose something that suits you because <laughs> often we just put it, you know, aside and put it in the rubbish bin. We don't think about it. So you may be surprised, you know, what your main waste streams are and actually potentially how easy they are to reduce. Like you could find a lot of your rubbish is bread bags and you actually have a bakery down the road that you could, you know, get it from in your own bag, things like that. So yeah, I think taking stock and kind of auditing, I guess, your life and what you current, like your current impact, where, you know, whether it's waste, even like recording and writing down, you know, how often am I shopping? <laughs> you know, like how the last 10 purchases I bought, how could I have avoided those? Because, you know, it's not just about swapping out your shopping habits for sustainable ones. It's actually about reducing what you purchase because consumerism and over-consumerism is, you know, arguably the, the biggest issue here. So, yeah, I think just taking stock and being really aware. And then with that, you know, you could have a two-day rubbish audit. You've seen what you've produced. You could uh, work out that actually you've shopped three times in the past week and you could have avoided that. 
have conversations with friends. Oh my gosh, I did this <laughs> waste audit. This is what I have. You know, start those conversations. You'd be surprised at ideas they may have to help you. Just start talking about it. Just be inquisitive. Like I don't think all of a sudden getting a book out of how to be zero waste or something, you know, like in a, a habit is really helpful for people who are new to this. I think um, actually starting by seeing and assessing your impact in your life and starting yeah. to have those conversations, yeah, changes your mindset and gets you to a place where, oh, cool, okay, now I can start. Society currently doesn't make it very easy for us to live to our values. It is a privilege, I believe, to live fully to your values, right? Like, I don't to live fully to my values. If I did, there would be a lot of things in my life that I would cross out and not be able to do. And so I guess it's great seeing government talk more about it. Obviously, everything is always slow in corporate spaces and in governments. But yeah, I think it's encouraging that things like our different waste yeah. drinks, single-use plastics, things like, you know, those multi-packs are actually yeah, being discussed at those levels. Because you imagine it'd just be so much easier if they just were like, illegal band yeah so the consumer doesn't have to fill up the chip packets and make sure are there many ones in the air or yeah exactly yeah yeah but I think I mean it's slowly it's slowly changing but um I think Europe is still up and Scandinavia is still a whole lot further ahead than we are in that uh whole field of things so over the last 100 years or 200 years Capitalism seems to have molded the world into this whole or molded the ordinary person into more of a full on consumer where the world is just surrounded by people consuming stuff. Do you think the whole sustainability journey um, becoming a more vocal topic you know, around things on the purchasing front is slowing down in the world as a, as a whole? Yeah, consumerism isn't slowing down, unfortunately. I see that. <laughs> There's different pockets and spaces where, you know, potentially it is. But sometimes even, to be honest, in the sustainability world, you see a, an encouragement for consumerism of sustainably made items that people don't actually need. I do see now people know that most sustainable thing is to like not buy it to, again, you know, reduce stuff, reduce things. So I see that kind of people picking that out now and addressing and understanding that that they don't have to you know they can use their old click clack containers or use an old jar to store something rather than you know buy all the Pinterest perfect lovely things to make yeah yeah free pantry but I keep up to date with a few statistics around research projects that are tracking consumption and stuff and it's not great like people are continue to consume a lot lot more but it is encouraging to see more especially like I often think back to the fashion space because that is a space I personally find myself still drawn to even though I do all lifestyle stuff now I think of a lot of more mainstream brands who are doing things like making to order and you know talking about waste and actually yeah trying to have less seasons and less of the H&M weekly model <laughs> daily it seems like but I would say like to answer your question bluntly no, I don't see it <laughs> currently how but like there's a wave of apparently I heard the other day that the kind of green movement, if you want to call it that, is kind of the biggest it's ever been. Like there's obviously always been waves of people, you know, encouraging green living and sustainable living, but apparently it's kind of been yeah seen as the biggest it's ever been which is great but I don't think until there is more 
change at the top, like from government and from actually changing that, that people love stuff. I love stuff. <laughs> you feel good when you have stuff. Like I feel like yeah. it's potentially an instinctual thing to be like, I feel more secure in my likelihood of surviving <laughs> if yeah. I you know, more stuff <laughs> and unfortunately that comes at a huge cost to other people who have to make it for well 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 below a living wage and yeah for using up finite resources so yeah yeah we're trying we'll keep trying shall we yeah and I think I mean you must feel so you know proud that you're actually going out there and voicing all of this stuff to the wider community because if you could make small changes and impact people's you know the way people operate in their day-to-day living just through the things that you're publicizing or voicing it's got to make a difference and we always say good change it's not about making massive changes just make one little incremental change and all of that piled up together can actually make a real difference so absolutely yeah. yeah yeah I do sometimes I put pull my put my hands in my hair and go like I don't know you know what's is this making a difference you know you're always there's always that question are we doing enough um but yeah absolutely I think that personally for me is my passion is to actually talk to people who don't care who currently don't know about these issues who currently don't know that they have an impact and absolutely if I encourage um you know, lots and lots of people to to do one thing or to that that I believe snowballs. You know, I often tell people to compost because that can you know approximately fifty percent of a household's waste is organic matter that can be turned into lovely soil, and we need more good soil. And so when I tell people to compost and they start that, I know they're going to make more changes because you know they're going to be exposed to uh, this awesome circular system of a compost. Yeah. Good Change Eco-Cloths are fully compostable in your home garden after six to nine months of use. They are lint and streak free, have the absorbency of 15 paper towels, and most importantly, don't smell. Available from your local supermarket or online at www.goodchangestore.com. Help support good changes in New Zealand homes with Good Change Eco-Cloths. Yeah. People think composting is this really um, scientific, complicated process. So at our place, we live rurally. We yep. just take our scraps and yep. we just have a bucket under the sink, pop all the scraps in there, and then we just, my husband or I, just, or the kids will go down and just dig it straight back into the garden. And the, yep. the, the soil is so fertile and so lovely. Yep. Um, easy. It's just a no-brainer. Yeah. 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 It's a little more, when you are in a smaller space, you do have to think a little more around, you know, it's smells yeah. Absolutely, is not a science. Like people go, people always ask me, "What can and can't you compost?" And I'm like, "Hmm, technically, you could compost anything that is a like organic matter." But yeah, there's all all sorts of different ideas around composting. But yeah, it's cool seeing composting become more mainstream, I guess. But yeah, if we all make these, you know, simple changes, I think personally, like. When you make one change, you actually see that it often um, brings you lots of joy. It makes your life better. It can often save you money. It can often benefit other people around you. So you get all those like feel goods and you feel good. You know, you feel like, oh, yeah, I'm doing something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Selfish feeling too. Yeah. And then that leads always, you know, onto future better things. So, yeah. yeah. So as a consumer, how do you know 
when you go into a shop to mm. buy something that you're buying something that is authentically a sustainable option and not just, you know, there's so many companies out there that are greenwashing. There's so many companies that are jumping on the sustainability bandwagon because they know that they actually have to in this day and age. They have to be seen to be sustainable. The word the sustainable is a trendy catchphrase. How do you know that you're actually buying a product that is authentically sustainable? Yeah, yeah. Are are there things that we should look out for? Yeah, yeah. I look out for transparency and honesty and a company, a company that's prepared to kind of share their warts and all, I guess. (laughs) To an extent, you don't have to, you know, demand too much. There's obviously an IP and stuff they can't share. But yeah, I think that's like it really. There's lots of nuances depending on the product. But yeah, transparency and, and also like what I would be comfortable buying may not be what someone else would be comfortable buying and that's fine like there's different lines we have someone may be comfortable buying a garment that the fabric is not organic and made overseas but the shirt was put together in New Zealand by you know someone local and be fine with that <laughs> you know like someone may buy something that was completely ethically made overseas natural dyes blah, blah, and it's you know shipped here on a boat you know rather than airplane you know like different people have their own different code of ethics and values so yeah thinking about those is really important before shop before you you do things but yeah transparency i think is the big one on that point we've um a good change we've actually got my business partner's husband and also another friend of his based um near the factories that actually go in to check up on all that stuff and i think that that's just so crucial like don't just try and grab a product from overseas and think that but you, you can't do those checks. I think it's just so important to actually oh, tick all those boxes. So, yep, yep. And yeah. also equally, like, certifications are helpful. However, I know lots of smaller brands who don't have the money to, you know, do the auditing and have the certification, but they may be even better. However, like, you know, anyone can say we pay fair wages and we do this, blah, blah, blah. Like, often, you know, you'll get back a few sentences around Yeah. Like, I'm so sorry. I don't mean to question your work, but everyone can say that so you know how it's having supporting evidence I think too when you're asking company yeah just to have more depth I think as consumers we're often passive consumers we don't realize that we actually do have the right to ask these questions to companies if we're going to buy something I think that is just yeah really important to remember (laughs) yeah that's a great point, actually. Yeah, I'll take that on board. I, I'm going to become like you and start uh, questioning things a little bit more. <laughs> I loved it. Yesterday, yeah. my mum sent me an email and she was asking about the palm oil and the potato chip, corn chips that she loves to buy. And she's messaging the answer back, which is actually quite a cool, detailed answer. And she was like, are they pulling the wool over my eyes? Or, you know, like, and I was yeah. like firstly, mum, you rock because... You are being a, a conscious, active consumer. You know, you imagine if we all just took the time to email one company a month even. Yeah. That shows that demand and that care. I said, firstly, that's awesome. You've already won. <laughs> Especially that generation as well, because, oh, I mean, you're younger than me, but I'm just thinking of my parents who are in their 70s mm. now. Um, yeah. it's, us, it's our generation that's trying to turn, turn things around. You know, I send the kids over to mum and dad's and the kids get their lunchboxes packed in glad wrap still. And I just haven't, I haven't used glad wrap for years and I don't understand. And the kids, but the kids come home and they say, mum, glam and grapes wrapped our sandwiches (laughs) in glad wrap. And that's, they're totally shocked. They've they've changed their mindset already, which is great. 
Yeah, that's that, cool. that yeah. But you, you do imagine, like, I actually sat down with my grandparents who are in their 80s, and I asked them about how they lived. And it's so fascinating because, you know, back then, when glad wrap, you know, and plastic came in, the reason why it's so prevalent is because it was like this instant time saver, food saver. It actually was this incredible technology that still, if you're about to tell, you know, 80, 90 year old, don't use that, they're going, like, well, you know, what the heck? It would be like potentially telling us, stop using cars, go back to horse and carriage, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. So I, I absolutely, like, a lot of the things when I interviewed my grandparents, actually, they were doing a lot of sustainable things without knowing it, right? But yeah, when they went from, I guess, yeah, more kind of. Uh, Glad wrap and plastic actually helped ease life a little bit, but now we have technologies that can re-replace those, you know, plastics. We know yeah. the long-term effects now of plastic, and I'm sure the person who invented glad wrap probably regrets that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned on your website the idea. I love this. The idea of starting your reduction of waste with a waste audit of your rubbish bin. Mm -hmm. um, and you said that that's a great way to see what rubbish you produce. Hence, you can make slow and strategic plans for reducing it. Can you tell us a bit more about this? Because I think that's fabulous. I'd love to get on board with that. Yeah. Yeah. Highly recommend anyone does a rubbish audit. I know some people scrap their noses and go, yeah, I'm not getting in my rubbish bin. <laughs> so if you compost, your rubbish bin isn't smelly. Going back to, again, the kind of like the first point where I, I encourage people to do. So essentially, like, should I work through literally what that looks like? What a rubbish. Yeah, just, yeah, just give us an idea of how yep. you go about that. That would be yep. great. Thank you. So in like a week, uh, let's say, you know, a week or a month, I've done it in both time periods, I would collect all my rubbish, including recycling. You know, recycling still should be avoidable, still should be avoided. And I personally still think it's rubbish because often <laughs> a lot of things aren't recycled. So I have, yeah, keep everything aside. I don't put it in my big bins outside. I compost. So it's not a smelly thing for me because um, all my recycling is clean and dry and all my rubbish is quite minimal and, you know, it doesn't have smelly food based on it because I've been able to decompose that in my backyard and turn it into soil. So I keep that aside, and then when it's time to do the audit, I separate it into waste streams. I'll have, you know, my cardboard there, my wine bottles there with other glass things, kind of soft plastics type thing, and, you know, all kind of miscellaneous. So I, I sort it into different parts. And if you weren't composting, you'd also have a, a little pile of your organic matter. What I do is I actually weigh each of those things, and I write notes about each waste stream because, you know, how... I could actually be like, oh, I'm going to find a place to source, again, waste-free bread. When really, like, I'm celiac. I make my own bread, and my husband really loves Vogels, and that's something that he personally buys, and I'm not, you know, that's his love and what he's going to do. So if I went down that route of finding a place to buy bread, like, that's not actually going to reduce my waste. So when I looked at my waste, to be honest, the most weight and the biggest waste stream is actually wine bottles. I'm personally trying to sort that out at the moment and going to try attempt to make my own wine. But once you know, you know, you've separated it out, you weigh it, because um, weight doesn't always mean everything, but it's a good measurement to go by. You know, I write notes, so I'm like, you know, that week there were, <laughs> seven wine bottles no. <laughs> um, <laughs> in a day <laughs> yeah, in a day there's some receipts or there's some 
cardboard from pasta because I wasn't able, again, I'm celiac, so the only place who has like gluten-free pasta is good for it. And sometimes I can't get there, so get the one in the cardboard box, you know? So I'll like write things and then I put the lowest hanging fruit at the top of a list. So again, you know, wine, like if I was able to cull that one waste stream, so many glass bottles would be removed from my recycling bin. They're heavy, which takes carbon emissions to transport them to the shops, to my house, to the recycling plant. Um, luckily, I'm in Auckland where the one glass recycling plant is. So I know it's not going too far, but still it has to be recycled and that takes energy and it would be so much better if it was and I could fill it up from a keg somewhere and reuse the bottle, things like that. I kind of, yeah, organise the lowest hanging fruit. Yeah, and work my way that way, I guess, and like dwell on those top things. Sometimes the lowest hanging fruit can be, you know, super simple little ones and you can choose, hey, actually, right now I don't have the capacity to work out this big wade stream and make my own wine, which is literally the situation I'm currently in, not currently making my own wine. So what are the other ones that are like easy ones I can do? with my current time and mental capacity (laughs) and yeah how can I go about those and make a plan and I don't do that every single week or whatever it's really awesome if you do it maybe every three months every six months then you can look back and go oh my goodness I've actually reduced my waste you know by this or you go oh we actually had five guests staying that week so that impacted that but how can I still it's really also rewarding because generally your waste goes down because you're obviously auditing it for a reason and you can actually go, yeah, high five, rather than feeling like, oh, my gosh, I still have waste in my bin. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It actually reminds me of um, these beach cleanups that we do with kids. We go out and we do something not, not dissimilar. For example, we went along a, a river recently, a really small stretch of river that looked actually quite pristine when you were looking from afar. But once you got in there, the amount of rubbish was unbelievable. We picked up all the rubbish, boxes and boxes of it, and then we separated it out. We had the scales there and we weighed it. We did the bottles and the cans and the there was heaps of clothing, funnily enough, like just clo- wow. dirty clothing lying around. There were, oh, there were needles and, oh, yeah, you know, some pretty horrendous stuff, which obviously the children didn't touch. Yeah. But um, weighing it all, and then the kids, it was an exercise in maths for them as well because they got to actually go through the mathematical process of, you know, adding up all the all the cans and what an eye-opener for the children to see how much rubbish is actually out there. Yeah, oh, yeah. totally. And that same waste order, I've, I've used to work in kindergartens and do a similar thing with the kindergarten's waste, you know, to help them reduce it. And it's amazing, eh, when you see the kids going, like, I think it's, there's something about seeing it, isn't there? There's something about tangibly yes. seeing this is, you know, for the kindergarten, this is the amount of waste we created in one day. I had some kindergartens who would create 30 kilograms of waste in one day. And that's wow. like, you know, 70 children, like little people <laughs> under five-year-olds and 20 adults. So it's like, I think that's really confronting. And often a positive way because I'm not, you, know, uh, you don't go in and you're not like, oh, this is terrible. Like, look at your waste. It's like, awesome. Now we know you could go back to, you know, that cleanup spot, do another audit and be like, it could be less or, you know, it could be more. And, and that can be, yeah, it just gives you more information, right? And yeah, it, it shows you it shows the improvement of what you've done, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or you right, go back yeah. and you're like, because we did that, or, that cleanup, the rubbish now is, yeah, so much less or yeah yeah it's just good I think sometimes the sustainability world can seem very 
don't know, open-ended and ethereal and the concepts and the values that we talk about. But when you go, what does that look like practically? I hope that people feel empowered to actually, you know, have those steps and do it. And then all those values and kind of waffly concepts can really be grounded in action. Good change, bamboo reusable towels. The perfect alternative to a single-use paper towel or the blue synthetic rolls that stay on the planet forever. Use, wash and reuse up to 85 times, then compost them in your home and send them back to nature. Available from your local supermarket or online at www.goodchangestore.com. Help support good changes in New Zealand homes with Good Change Bamboo Towels. Yeah, I was um, listening to this amazing podcast the other day about these American guys who were collecting all the coffee gray, coffee ground coffee waste from cafes all around Manhattan, and then they're taking it back and growing mushrooms in the coffee grounds. Ooh, yes. I thought, oh, how cool is that? That's just such a great sustainable process. Isn't it? I mean, they've done really well because they were immediately profitable because they were removing the coffee waste for less, so they were getting paid to remove the waste for less than what the waste companies were, were charging. Mm-hmm. And then there, so that was one revenue stream. And then they're growing these mushrooms in it and selling those on to cafes. So, so good. So I've just got this this uh, whole thing in my head about we're surrounded these days by the likes of all these big Hollywood stars like the Kardashians and people like that who live what they would describe as the American dream and everything's bigger than Ben Hur and you know everything in America is so huge. How do we help our children escape this fake world of consumerism? Um, I'd call it the plastic fantastic. What would be your advice to parents bringing up kids in this really f- crazy, fast-paced consumer world? Mm, mm. I think it just comes down to learning by watching. I know that that's kind of very basic, but I see you know a lot of families, you could potentially get so scared with all this doomsday news and all this info, you know, that you're really trying to drill these things into the kids who they become their own people and have potential to rebel against those things from the mainstream, you know, pull them in. So I think it just, again, and that's how I try to educate people too, is just by doing it, just literally by making it the mainstream. I really love organizations who, using a fashion example again, they just share good fashion and it's just good. It's just awesome quality stuff. And they don't necessarily harp on about the fact that they pay living wages and use sustainable materials or dead stock or something. It just is. And so I really love to see families who have, you know, these values around caring for other people on the planet. And it's not that they have rules within their house around no plastic or no, you know, whatever. It's just that ahead of the household's the, the adults in the, in the home just do it and it's not like this big alien unique thing um, it just happens and also there's open conversation about it because obviously currently those values are quite opposite to potentially what kids would hear at school and in the media and all that sorts of thing but the second you start I guess telling it particularly when it comes to such contrasting views to mainstream 
there's going to be pushback. Like I see that even in my own peers, you know. Yeah. Um, I believe, you know, adults are like children too, right? (laughs) We have different ways of learning and rebelling and all, all sorts. So, yeah, it's just doing it. You don't know the amount of people who are just watching what you get up to and how impressionable kids are from just doing it. And I guess that goes with, again, thinking about, the types of people your kids are around in the real world, you know, the types of friends that parents interact with, the, you know, all those different circles, just being aware of who are they following, you know, in reality, and therefore that hopefully, you know, corresponds to their decisions around what stuff they're, yeah, absorbing online. But everyone has their own kind of thought process and journey to go through to understand the downfalls of mainstream media and how what's yeah. like is this what we need and what we should do and what we should have everyone goes on their own process so I think if parents just try to do it as much as possible um yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and I, I think it all comes down to your upbringing as well you sort of you know your parents are kind of your idols or whatever and if you could just sort of take their lead and create your own habits from a very early age yep. then yeah yep. Well, I think yeah. back to my parents, who are literally my idols. A lot of the work I do, I actually, you know, when you're an adult and you you start to realise how formative that they were and how awesome you think of all the epic things, yeah, that you weren't conscious of as a kid. And it's the same thing. Like, people would ask me, oh, do you come from a family who are sustainable or whatever? And I would always be like, not really. Like, we're very normal, <laughs> you know? And then I think back, I'm like, oh, my goodness. The values like and stuff instilled in us and the things I watch my parents do, you know, are the things that I'm talking and educating about now, but they just didn't harp on about it. They were just doing yeah. it. And I was yeah. just watching. Like I, it wasn't a thing. So whatever they did was you know, worked, it was helpful. Yeah. Brilliant. Just send them around the place to help with appearance. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Tell our listeners three takeaways that they could take away from the conversation today. You've mentioned some amazing stuff around you know, being more questioning around ethical fashion. I love the audit idea. But just some little things that they could start with. What would be the first three things that you could suggest they take away today? I would say one of the key things is to communicate and talk to other people. I see a lot of our struggles and faults and how unhappy people are and how much rubbish we're consuming, all those types of things, just being a disconnect from conversation. Like now, especially we have technology, we sit at a bus stop and we're on our phones, not talking to someone who may actually end up passing on an awesome recipe or, you know, inspiring you to change your mindset about something you never thought about before. So yeah, I would just say like, you don't need to reinvent the wheel and things when it comes to sustainability. First thing would be to just talk to people, ask them what they do, what they've done in their lives. Like I really find so much value. Yeah, talking to my grandparents and people like that, that that's just incredible. There's so much wisdom in other people. And talking to people who are different to you is yeah, a lot of things in my, you know, current culture and society here. It's like, oh my gosh, that's so incredible to bring a container and a tiffin somewhere. And then in other places, like uh, I remember being in India for a friend's wedding and it's like, that was the, you know, those are just literally what we use, you know, like this is the thing. So expanding your views and just being inquisitive and open to other people's ideas, not staying in your little eco chamber of, I only listen to people who agree with me. <laughs> uh, it's just really yeah. cool to, yeah, broaden your mind. 
the second thing would just to be, <laughs> I always think about the three words, less quality and consciously when I'm buying something, the first being less. So I always try to look around my own home first and what I already have to fulfill a need if I'm about to buy something or do something. And that just, again, saves so much money, saves time, saves the overwhelmed stuff. There's a great book called Stuffocation, which is just on the money, you know, just hits a nail on the head. Just probably don't buy it, is like the answer. Um, An important one. So yeah, talk to people. Don't buy it. And I just harp on about compost, but the third one, I just have to say like compost. (laughs) Anyone, even nowadays, you can compost in a one bedroom apartment in the city. There's options, there's share waste. They, someone else local will take your waste. There's little systems that can sit on your bench. Uh, There's places that will pick up your waste and take it to other sites. There's so many opportunities. And when you start composting, it's so much yeah less stinky for your rubbish bin. And we're not throwing like so many precious resources into the landfill. So yeah. Right. Amazing. I know that I'm going to go away today and definitely do that rubbish audit. That's my one of my takeaways. And I'm definitely be- I'm going to become more questioning around where things come from because I kind of already am, but probably not to the extent that you are. I think just having a bit more of a curious mind around it. But oh, I just find this all totally, I, it's the most in, interesting discussion. I can actually sit and talk to you all day because you've got Thanks. so much to, to offer. It has really reminded me that if you can just tweak your mindset, life can be very simple and very fulfilling. Living in the now and just taking what we've got and reusing, recycling. I don't know. There's just so many facets to it, but just living that simple life. You know, I was away in a little hut on a river for the weekend with the kids. I said to my husband, why do we aspire to all these big things when I'm actually at my happiest sitting around a bonfire, cooking a sausage and toasting some marshmallows? It's the simple things that are the most precious. So, um yeah, but thank you so much, Kate. We just feel very privileged to have you um, as part of our podcast. And uh, yeah. And yeah, I wish we could chat for days. <laughs> really. I know, I know, and I know you've got a, um, a bit of a time frame, so I'm going to let you go. But thank you very much for your time and uh, hope to meet you um, again sometime in the near future. Yep, I'm sure we'll meet in person. And sorry about the um, bird flapping stuff too. Hectic. All good. <laughs> All good. Thank you for listening to our Good Change Conversations. We hope you are walking away feeling excited and inspired by those doing good things. Keep coming back. We have so much more we want to tell you.